Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our worship service from the United Methodist Church of Westlake Village on this Sunday, May 30th. We are so glad that you have decided to join us for worship, either in person or through the internet. We are worshiping on campus in our sanctuary for those who feel comfortable about getting out and about at this stage of the pandemic with uh, the situation that it currently is with our vaccinations. Our health safety protocols are in place though, and so we ask you if you are gathering with us to pre-register your health uh, situation to wear masks while you are here and to keep your physical distance. Uh, we also continue online streaming and so if that feels comfortable for you, we celebrate that and we look forward to having that be a, a good experience of worship for you. A couple quick notices. We have flowers on the altar this day that are brought to us thanks to uh, Jenny uh, in memory of her beloved father, Chang An, and to the glory of God for all the blessings that were his. And also, uh, today, let me just uh, remind you that you did see in your notices a, uh, an invitation for a gathering on campus on the 13th from 4.30 to 6 uh, from Family Ministries and Christian Education for a Father's Day picnic. Maybe that's something that would uh, appeal to you. If so, uh, please join us. All right, then, let us now center ourselves and prepare for worship. standing on holy ground, here to worship our Lord and be present with one another as we explore the parables a little bit further. This day, we're going to look at the scripture and the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And we're going to look at it in a couple of different ways, and that it is something that is beneficial to us all and really takes us, our understanding of that passage to a new level. Will you guys join me in a moment of prayer? Let's take a moment to talk to God. We thank you for this day, for the ways in which your spirit flows through this place, inviting us to be community with one another, for one another, and to one another. Allow us to continue to see the ways in which you are encouraging us to support each other, to see each one as sacred, and to see how our lives are interconnected. In your name we pray, amen.
now is the time in our worship service where we talk to the children of our church. And I am so glad to see maybe even a dozen here. I can't do my math that quickly. We're close to it. Six, ten. We got ten. So not quite a dozen, but it's pretty awesome to have ten children here in worship. And I look forward to the moment that we can join together on the stairs again. Maybe sometime soon we will be in conversation about that and see how we can be closer together during this time. Today in Sunday School, in our Celebrate Wonder curriculum, we're talking about Abraham and Lot. And we have a new theme for the month or for the next several weeks. And the theme is about peace. And today we're going to talk about how we find peace in compromise. Does anyone know what the word compromise means? It's a big word, isn't it? Oh, I love the loving that's happening on between the sisters there. What's that, Bubba? What does compromise mean, Mark? Fill in the spots. Okay. All right. We'll have to talk about that some more to see if I understand what you're saying. Compromise is when maybe you guys are fighting. You've never fought with a brother or a sister or a family member, right? You guys always get along, right? Do you always get along? <laughs> Exactly. As my son said, no. And sometimes to figure out how to get along, both of you do something that's a give and a take. So in the video that you may watch today, there's a conversation about two, two brothers who are, are fighting about what they should do for dinner and what movie they should watch. And ultimately, they decide that one will pick the dinner topping or to the dinner item, and the other will choose the movie. That way, both get something that they want, even if they don't get everything that they want. And sometimes we have to compromise, huh? Yes, Maya. Oh, I think compromising is working together. I like that answer. Oh, that's what he meant by filling in the holes. See, I look forward to the point that I can have this conversation with you guys on the steps again. That would be spectacular. Thank you guys for sharing and giving us some input to that. Will you guys join me in a moment of prayer? Let's take some time to talk to God. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for today. And thank you for tomorrow. Thank you for loving us. Help us to find peace by working together and filling in the blanks. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you can head off to Sunday school. We'll see you in a little while. Show sure. 
us center ourselves and go to God in prayer. Holy God, we pray that you would hear the stirrings of our spirits, the hopes of our hearts, and the yearnings of our minds as we join with one another here and, and through the community gathered in the internet to pray to you this morning with one another. We need to know that you are in our lives in a very real way to give us the confidence and the strength, the courage to, to move forward the way you call us to be, to open ourselves to healing and renewal through your spirit, to be who you would have us to be. And so we would humble ourselves this morning as we begin our time of prayer by pausing with some thoughts of how it is that we do not live up to your calling with prayers that you would help us to do that. So we would ask that you would forgive our sins as we think of them now in this time of private prayer. We ask that the balm of Gilead would wash over us and would help to cleanse us and renew us and empower us to lives that express more fully your grace and your love. Help us, Lord God, with the many concerns of our daily lives, our comings and our goings as we make our way during these challenging days. On this Memorial Day weekend, we pause specifically to reflect upon those dear souls who stepped forward to serve their country and the greater good among humanity and in so doing, lost their lives. We lift up their sacrifice among us and for us. And we pray that your comfort would surround those who continue to mourn their death as a personal loss in their family or their circle of dear friends. Help us all to embrace the noble ideals of our country as we also embrace the ethical imperatives of our faith. Guide us in these days ahead to be our best selves. To help us live authentically and consequentially 
as disciples of Christ. And so we would pray for those around us who we know and who we hear about who are struggling with physical or mental health issues. <sighs> with troubled relationships during these days with uncertain employment or other challenges that put them at dis-ease or discomfort. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. We think specifically of Linda Northrup and her husband Dave, of Kathy Drake and her husband Ken as they deal with the challenges due to their cancer treatments. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. For Gary Evans' friend, Pat Berner, as she deals with her ovarian cancer. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. For Ernie Lauer's daughter, Jim Lawson's daughter, Steve Blassengame, all who continue to fight their fight against their cancers. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. For the friend of Candace Shehorn, who continues to uh, struggle with preeclampsia, we pray for her well-being and for the well-being of her pregnancy of twins. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. For Betty Stemmen and her extended family as they grieve the passing of her brother Mario in Argentina, and then just this week learn of how Mario's widow, Egda, now has COVID and is struggling for her life with that. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. For Glenn Swanson's family as they grieve the death of his sister Sandra's husband, Wayne. Oh Lord, Hear our prayers. And we would pray for Bishop Arakia and his wife Ruth as they continue to fight for their lives as they are both suffering from COVID in the Philippines. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. For all those who are being vaccinated, we think particularly of our youth as they go through that process for all those who are in places around this world where they are having a hard time finding vaccinations available. We pray for the human family as we struggle to get our bearings and our footings to move forward in the face of COVID. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And we would pray for improvement in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that they might find somehow find a way to adjust peace and be able to travel upon that road. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And we think we joy this week of all of our graduates. We celebrated them last week, those here in our church, all of them in our extended family, in our community who are coming now into times of graduation from their uh, high schools or colleges. What an exciting, exciting time this is as they look forward in their lives. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And we celebrate with the Stewart family, with Greg and Elaine, the marriage of their daughter, Brooke, 
the Justin Konjurski just this week. May that wedding be blessed with happiness and love. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. And now we pause for a moment in the privacy of our own thoughts for those concerns which we have kept personal to ourselves. Uh, we ask that you would be with us in this time of prayer. come into these lives, Lord God, in a powerful way that helps all of these folk know your support, your nurture, your healing, your inspiration, and your encouragement. We pray for our church as it continues in its ministries through these times as we find our way back together as a fellowship, as we look forward into our future wondering how it might be that we would please you and be servants and disciples of your son. Help us to maintain and grow in our effectiveness and our vitality. All this we pray in your son's name, joining in the prayer he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee's and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisees, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven. But he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of God from the, from the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen, indeed. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious God, allow us to approach you with humility, to recognize the ways in which you have extended grace and new life to each and every one of us gathered here in this room and across cyberspace that we have the ability to be in right relationship with you 
and to see the ways in which you are challenging us and inviting us to live in ways that celebrate the interconnection that we have with one another. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I don't know about you, but as I was listening to that scripture, uh, I, I had a few initial thoughts and, po- and assumptions that I made. I went, okay, this is a parable about two people that are being set up against each other, the good and the bad, those that were perceived as pious, but maybe not as, as faithful as they could be, and those that are perceived as bad, but faithful and living out their, their faith in ways that others don't perceive. And, you know, there's a lot of good sermons that could come from that translation of this story. I think most of us do that. Um, but the truth is, is that over the last several months, we've been challenged to not just look at the surface level of the scripture, but to also dig deeper, to see where are the nuances there, to see where Jesus might be challenging us to push a little farther, to dig a little deeper, to understand more fully where the value, where the tension is, where we might benefit and grow a little more. If we stuck with the surface level translation of that Bible, as I said, or of that story, as I said, we could have some good conversations about it. And as a matter of fact, I think we have a few times over at this point about how we live out our faith and if we're doing things for public recognition as opposed to our relationship with God. But Jesus always has something deeper that we can explore, something else we could look at. And I think that that's important for us to see what that might be. So who was Jesus talking to in this passage? This is not one of the parables where Jesus is up on a hillside talking to a large group of people. He's talking to his disciples here. He's talking to a group of people saying, hey, this might be something that we need to work on as well. It's not just the larger group, but it's us who are are close to me, who have things to work on and to delve into and to explore, to become stronger in their faith. And the ways in which we read that scripture and the things that I just said as the base level interpretation, we're looking at it through our modern eyes. But we have to think again how those who were living in Jesus' day and age may have perceived this story. We look at the tax collector and think about all of the people who may be shunned in our society, those who are on the fringes, those who were looked down upon um, in some way. In our society today, it might be unwed mothers, it might be um, the homeless, It might be someone who's addicted to something. The list could go on and on. We could come up with different people who are looked down upon but who still may be faithful. And then we look at the Pharisee as someone who is is vilified, is the way that I'll phrase it. It's someone who is the villain of most of, of the parables, and that would be the way that we perceive it in our modern reading. 
But the truth is, is that the followers of Jesus and the people who were living in his day and age would have looked at the tax collector and said, this is an agent of the government who has taken our money, who has, has mistreated us and, has, um, and, and doesn't have much sympathy amongst the, the, the hearers of Jesus' parable. Does that make sense? So, so while we look at the tax collector as a sympathetic character, the original hearers, hearers may not have. And then there's the Pharisee, who the people of Jesus' time would have looked at and said, this is someone who is walking the walk and talking the talk. Someone who is living profoundly and faithfully and doing what they need to do to live out the instructions that they are given. So if that's the case, how do those hearers perceive this story differently than we do? And what's the message for us today in the midst of that translation, in the midst of what's going on? Amy Jill Levine points out that the Pharisee and the tax collectors are not typical members of either of the groups that they belong to. Both of these men are caricatures. And she says that the listeners would be surprised that a Pharisee would be dismissive of others in the community. They would be surprised that a tax collector would be repentant, and they would be provoked, as we all should be, by the implications of the relationship between the two men. There's a few things that we need to remember. This is not a critique of the temple. The temple is a place for both of these men, where everyone is welcome, where they are both welcome. It's a place where they are both they both find justification and renewal. They find restoration and pilgrimage, worship and inspiration. The temple is a place of sacrifice and repentance. It's a place of prayer. And most importantly, it's a place where God is found. So the question is, how do they both find justification? That's the surprise, the challenge of the parable. So who are these people? I've told you a little bit about it. The tax collector would have been disliked, not trusted, and considered an agent of Rome. The tax collector would have been presumed to be corrupt, just as we remember the story of Zacchaeus and how everyone assumed that Zacchaeus was stealing from people. His problem was that he was a sinner, probably rich, um, and as a tax collector, likely shown, had showed no mercy to those that we had encountered. The presence of the tax collector is unexpected for that reason. Those that would have been in the temple with him would have perceived him as a traitor and would have had mixed feelings about him. So in our perception, we, we think about how he was perceived as unclean. And we have to remember that in temple times, they had the, the act of ritual purification. So we know that before he walked into the temple, he had done what he needed to do to be received to the temple and to have that place of worship. But there was some questions about his moral purity. I'm doing really well with tongue twisters this weekend, just so you all know. Um, his moral purity and how he, how he is living out his life and if he's living in such a just way. Now, as we listen to his prayer, know that he's acknowledging his sin and that he's asking for mercy. 
both of which are commendable actions. But listeners then and listeners today may wonder if it's accompanied with a resolve, stop sinning. And if it's not, he's looking for cheap grace. The Pharisee, as I said, was respected among the people, a servant, faithful and obedient. And while we look at the prayer and look at it as in some ways pompous and full of of himself in the way that it's read, we can look at other scriptures where we are encouraged to pray like that, encouraged to remember the ways in which we are living out the commandments that God has given to us, the ways in which God is inviting us to, to follow the covenant, to live into the covenant that God has given to us. So as he prays, he is standing before God. Uh, there's a professor of Old Testament literature or entire, whose name is Frederick C. Holgren, Holmgren, and he observes that worshipers stand before God, and in this holy moment, he speaks to God of the kind of person he is. He confesses that he has done what God expects of him, and that he has been sincere and responsible. So the problem, even though the place that we usually go to is, wow, that prayer seems like he's a little full of himself, and that he's not dependent upon God, but he's acknowledging how he takes a place in that, is the bigger problem is the fact that he then compares himself to the other people in the room. He compares himself to the tax collector. He compares himself to, to there, there was a long list there, right? There was a list of people that he compares himself to. And it's the point where he is judging someone else. The Pharisee has the information to speak of his own status, but he cannot and therefore should not judge the hearts of others. If he cannot and should not judge the hearts of others, should we be judging the hearts of others? I think that that's where we are invited to go with that story. How do we live in such a way that we don't get caught up in the dichotomy of I'm either a tax collector or I'm a Pharisee? Because in all honesty, we don't want to be either of those in, in a lot of ways. You know, maybe, maybe we do want to be a Pharisee. Maybe we want to be someone who walks the walk so devoutly that, that the things that we do help and benefit others. But I know at least for me, as much as I want to attain that, I don't usually True confessions. I'm not perfect, y'all. I hope you know that. And I embrace the fact that none of us are perfect. So I don't think that I can reach. Yes, Warren, I'm going to reach my hand up. (laughs) Every day when the tech uh, sets up, they ask if you're going to raise your hands out of frame, and I probably just did. Um, I don't think that we can reach that pinnacle that the Pharisee has set. I don't, I, I would like to, and I try to, but I acknowledge that I fall short. Um, And I don't necessarily know that I want to be someone who comes and asks for forgiveness and may not want to truly repent and change my ways. I want to be somewhere in the middle. I want to be someone who is living faithfully, acknowledging to God the places where I've done well, but also admitting the places where I've fallen short, admitting the places where I could do better and asking God for direction and forgiveness and that new life that we so need. 
that we so desire. Now, the passage gets a little interesting because after that, it talks about who goes away justified, who goes away... um, So the passage goes on to say, I tell you, this man went down from his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt himself will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's a little difficult because then we sit there and go, so we're being told that the tax collector was justified, but the Pharisee wasn't. And some people will say that the Pharisee wasn't justified because of the fact that the Pharisee didn't ask for anything. But we have to go back to the words. And while rather than is the word that was used in our translation, Greek is difficult to translate into English, in case you didn't know that. There's so many words that have a variety of nuances and a variety of different ways in which we can interpret them, in which we can read them. And the word that they use for rather than is a word that we may know because we hear it in Spanish. It's para, which comes from the word parable, paraclete. Uh, Let's see, I've got other words in there that are highlighted somewhere. Uh, Paradox, parallel. So that para has a few different understandings. And just so you know, as I snuck one of those words in, paraclete means the Holy Spirit. So parallel, we know what parallel means. We know what paradox means. It's a mystery. Who knows? And that word para can be translated in a variety of different ways. The ways in which our translation chose to translate it. That's a redundant sentence, but that's okay. Um, The way that our translation uses it is rather than. But it can be used to say because of on account of, or set side by side. And that that sentence reads much differently if you use something other than rather than. If you say, I tell you, this man went down from his home justified because of the other, that's a completely different reading. If you say, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified side by side with the other, that also has a different reading. And I think that that reading actually gives us more of a challenge, gives us more of an invitation on how we live our lives. It's saying that because the the Pharisee was living in such a way that he was doing over and above what he needed to, that the grace that was poured out, about, uh, out upon him was poured out upon the tax collector as well. It's a grace that is overflowing, a grace that, that expands, a grace that continues to bless. Now, the Pharisee didn't do these things to receive God's blessings. He did these things because he was blessed by God and the blessings continued to flow. Does that kind of make sense? It's a nuance there, and I recognize that. It's not he did these things because he wanted the works to earn God's love. He did these things because he was loved by God and wanted to say thank you. And as he was doing these things, his appreciation and thanksgiving to God blessed others in the process. So the tax collector, while he may not have done all of the things that the code and the covenant told him to do, he was redeemed and made new as well. He was invited to be 
in that renewed, justified relationship with God. This translation, as Levine says, tells us that this is a concern for community. And responsibility means that the sin of one person... That was not the part I wanted to read. Forgive me. Um, But Levine points out that there are ways in which this invites us to take responsibility for each other and to recognize that we can be blessed and benefited through the faithfulness of each other. So sometimes when we're falling short, we have someone that helps us along the way. And when we have a friend who is struggling, we walk alongside them and hope that our grace overflows to them as well. I love this blessing, but there's times where it is difficult. We talk about how the sins of one can affect many, but it is great to know that it's also the truth that the faithfulness of one can affect many as well. That as we live out our faith, we may have God's grace overflow from us to someone else. There are times where this makes sense, and there's times where this seems like a struggle. We want to receive God's grace, but sometimes it's hard for us to extend that grace to others. Um, But when we try to limit how grace over or grace flows out, we're limiting who God is and how God can be in our lives. So we are invited to, to have a larger understanding of how this may work. Levine uses the example of explaining the scripture in modern day terms by saying, this is the dreaded group project, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, in your career, where you're assigned with a group of people and you have three people who work really hard and you have that one person who you feel like you're dragging along in the process. Now, none of us have ever had that experience, right? Oh, wait, I think all of us have. Whether we have been the person who feels like they're being dragged along or whether we've been the person who puts in the effort. And there could be a variety of reasons why this person is not giving up to the level that we expect. But then there's the question, do we all deserve the same grade? That's what this parable is about. Do we all deserve the same grade? Do we all deserve God's grace? Should we all benefit from the efforts of some? My argument and Levine's argument would be yes. Because we don't know what the backstory is. We don't know why they are living up to that potential. It could be that they are insecure about themselves. It could be that they just don't have the knowledge. And maybe you are helping them to grow and learn in the process. Uh, Levine says it this way. My sense of justice then was too narrow. My sense of generosity too constricted. My sense of self-import too great. But that person believed that the system, believed in the system. That fourth person whom we dismissed as lazy, as stupid, as unable to contribute, may well have done what he could. He may have felt himself unworthy. Indeed, we three others may have signaled to him that we were disappointed that he was assigned to our group. He trusted in us. He trusted in the system. Had we been more generous with him rather than resentful, 
we would have learned more as well. I find that, that statement very interesting, and I want to wrestle with it a little bit more, but not at this moment. I have another example, because you... So, my example is from a movie that has just come out from Disney, whether you watch it streaming, whether you watch it in the theaters, whether you buy it on the DVD or the Blu-ray, or rent it from Redbox or whatever else. It's Raya and the Last Dragon. And little PR piece, that's what our one-day VBS will be based upon. So, just a little sneak peek there. Um, Raya, Raya and the Last Dragon. And I don't want to give away too much. But the last names, or the last dragon's name is And Sisu is one of five dragons, five siblings who are working to, to bring about the salvation of their world as they know it at a time. And they all work together to create something that will save their world. And Sisu, who is the one who is praised for, get it, for being the one who finally offers salvation, is the one that feels the most insecure about herself. She is the one who always felt like her siblings had something more to give. And when it was time to present this, this orb of salvation, we'll call it, they asked Sisu to be the one to present it so that she could see the benefit and the beauty in and of herself. It was one of those things that she, did, she felt like she was the fourth student. Does that make sense? But the others saw the gift and beauty within her and helped lift her up to a point of, of leadership and recognition as well. As we wonder about this fourth student, the person who do they deserve the grade or not, I want to point out one other thing. If we take the concept of interrelationship seriously, we might, uh, this is a statement from, from Levine, we might be more inclined to consider others because our actions, whether for ill or for good, will impact them. And if our good deeds aid someone else rather than begrudge them, why not celebrate all who are justified? And my question is, isn't this same love and grace, the same love and grace that saves us? Jesus' goodness translates to us, washes over us, and offers us a fresh start to be justified, to be made new. When we recognize what God has done for us, Jesus is challenging us again to go and do likewise. Rachel Held Evans, in one of her books, says, the gospel doesn't need a coalition of devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls, throwing open the doors, and shouting, welcome, there's bread and wine, come and eat and talk. This isn't a kingdom of the worthy, this is a kingdom of the hungry. The tax collector that day came in hungry for new life, for justification. And because of the faithfulness of the Pharisee, he received just that and could begin anew. And our challenge is to be the people that allow the grace to overflow from us so that others can begin anew as well. Amen.
you are invited to give thanks to God for the power of God's grace in your life, the way that grace has uh, transformed or renewed or redirected you to becoming a person that shares grace indiscriminately with all around in the hope of God's power triumphant. Our offering is a time in which we can can demonstrate that kind of thankfulness and demonstrate our desire to undergird that kind of ministry through our mist. You will see some instructions on the screen on how you can contribute to underwriting the ministries of the church. And if you are here among us and you have not yet done so, on your way out there will be plates by the door in which you can leave your contributions. Your generosity is is needed to keep us going, to keep us doing the good that we do with and through one another. So I invite you to be as generous as you are thankful. piece just spoke to my soul. Thank you very much. And thank you, Christy, for being here in worship today to lead us in music. We appreciate it very much. Friends, I hope that this day has been one that has filled you with blessing, has filled you with thought, and leaves you inspired to go forward from this place as people overflowing with grace so that you may bless others along the way. So rooted in love, nurtured in love, Go forth in love, confident that the God who created you in love, the Christ who meets you with love, and the Holy Spirit who inspires you to love goes with you each and every day on the journey. Amen. The loving Christ now calls.